Welcome back to Many Windows, the podcast about education for everyone interested in education. My name is John Cassie, and I'm joined as always by my dear friend and co-host, Jennifer McGlemory. Jennifer, how are we doing? Good. I'm hot, but school is about to start, and kids are coming back to school, so I'm so excited. Rock on. Okay. So you, you said you texted me earlier today that you were doing registration, which is... Uh, you know, the gift that keeps on giving, right? <laughs> right. So you're just about done? Yeah, one more day. We've done eighth grade, seventh grade. We have sixth grade on Thursday. Teachers come back Monday. Students come back the next Monday. So wow. I'm, in, I'm in it. I'm in the and, throes of it. And you guys are face-to-face live? Yeah. Yep. You got yeah. some COVID protocols in place? Yeah, everyone has to wear face masks inside. Yep. yep. Um, but there's no mandates for social distancing. So yep. we're going to, you know, open pretty much like we normally would. Yep. Um, and just asking people to do those health checks in, at home and not come to school if they're sick. You know, a lot of times we really focus at the beginning of the year, like, hey, come to school, be here every day, attendance is important, you know, the power of 1%, all these slogans about attendance. Now it's like, do not come to school if you have the tiniest, tiniest feeling that you're sick. So it's interesting how, you know, this whole thing has changed, changed what we're doing a little bit. Yeah, that's language that probably needed to be pivoted anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's true. um, You know, uh, I'm, I'm all for perfect attendance if you're perfectly well. Right. But if you're not, then why are you bringing your your germs to to a big public space? Stay, stay away. When I first inherited, you know, a school that gave perfect attendance awards, I used to always say, "This is the um, award for a strong immunity system, or a, immune system, right? right? That's right. what this award is." And then I just eventually stopped giving them because I just think, you know, how do you prevent yourself from getting sick? And you know, who right. are, were, um, you know, kids who maybe have some chronic illnesses or something, then now we've created this award that they can't get. Right, right. We're trying to do less of that. Right. Well, folks, listeners, you know, you know that in our previous season, we did a whole mini series on COVID. This episode has nothing to do with COVID. Jennifer, what are we talking about in season three? Well, we've really been talking about trying to diversify the narratives, you know, particularly yep. starting with just the, the work that we've been doing in my school district around core novels kind of kicked it off for me, thinking about the books that we read and that we are um, not relying on the single narrative. We are showing perspectives that are positive for all different kinds of people, because I know I'm a big believer in trying to connect a student with the right book. Um, anytime a, a, I, I was an English teacher and I had kids in my class, I always wanted to get the right book in their hand. And I think it's so important that, you know, we have books that are mirrors and windows. And it's, it's so being able to find those stories about different cultures and races. And, you know, now we're talking about gender and gender expression and sexuality and kids need to be able to see those representations positive representations in books so that's we talked a lot about that yesterday uh, yesterday in our last episode um about kind of the history of lgbtq plus 
literature and particularly right. for young adults. So right. um, I'm excited to kind of continue that conversation today and get a new perspective. Exactly. And to give us this new perspective and to help us uh, learn about this world of LGBTQ plus representation, both as a writer and in dozens of other ways, we're honored to be joined on this conversation by Kevin McCloskey. Kevin, how's it going? Good. It is such an honor and pleasure and privilege to be here. Yeah, we're Thank delighted so to have much. you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, now, Kevin, you you came to Jennifer and me because we have a shared friend at the LGBTQ or at the LGBT Center of Los Angeles, where you you work. Yes. But you've got many other kinds of irons in the fire. Good grief, like all of us, right? So, so tell the audience a little bit about kind of your background, kind of what you're doing, where you're coming from, and then talk a little bit about your, your writing work, and that'll lead us into the rest of the conversation. Sure, sure. Well, I, um, I hold a claim that not a lot of people have. I am born and raised Californian. Wow. Um, from the, are you too, Jennifer? Yes, yeah. Right. Wow, nice. Um, I was born in Northern California, I actually went to film school at UC San Diego because I always wanted to be a writer, actor, director. I, want, I was obsessed with everything Hollywood. Um, I wrote my first uh, screenplay. It was a, a soap opera called Paradise Isles and sent it off to Paramount. I love to tell this story. And about six months later, they sent it back to me unread because I didn't have representation. Like, whatever, I'm 10. So uh, yeah, I, that's where I began my, my writing career. Went to school uh, into film and, you know, UC San Diego, great school. Their film program at the time, and I won't say what the time that was, was very experimental, very avant-garde, very not me. Um, and so I struggled with it. And for something that I loved to do for so long, I didn't see myself in it, but continued in the process. But also in college, I started doing volunteer work. I uh, started volunteering kind of at an inner city school in San Diego and just fell in love with that kind of work. And at the same time, you know, was getting a C in basics of photography and thought, okay, this right. is clear. Uh, this is the kind of, so I made a right. career in social services and I have basically worked with uh, children, youth, and families in various settings from immigrant communities to really wealthy communities mm. and now to the LGBT community my whole mm. career. Yeah. But I've never stopped writing, and um, I I'm a screenwriter, so I write uh, I write a lot of spec scripts, and so spec scripts are where you take an idea that no one is paying you to take and mm -hmm. develop it into a script and hope that somebody loves it and buys it. Right. Uh, so I do that for television shows. I write TV pilots. I have produced a number of of my own work. Uh, nice. I have also helped produce another a, a number of work from other people. Uh, and I love it. I will, I'm, I'm a writer, I think, since the moment I was born. And it's not how I make my living, but it's what I love to do. Yeah, I, to I totally resonate with that. D did, you, uh, did you do anything with Project Greenlight? Remember that? Oh, gosh, I remember being in love with Project Greenlight. Right. And, you know, I have submitted to everything under the sun. So it's very likely that I submitted both. to that. Um, but part of my journey was that I did not come out as uh, part of the LGBT community until like into my late 30s. Oh, okay. And so when I look at the writing that I did before I came out to the writing that I've done since coming out, it's really like uh, my writing now is honest and vulnerable and mm -hmm. real. 
because I am now in that place in my own life. Um, I love some of the things that I did before I came out in terms of my writing, but it doesn't have the transparency that I think my current work does. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I probably submitted a Project Greenlight um, and wouldn't be surprised if they're like, oh, this is good, but not great. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, that, that sort of speaks to one of, the, one of the themes that Jennifer and I have been exploring you know, throughout this season, which is, you know, we want young people to be able to develop in, into their most authentic selves, right? So that the students are, are developing into their selves, their adult selves, right? And we think that there are maybe better ways to get them to a more authentic version of themselves, right? So when, when you talk about your writing before and your writing now and how being out shapes that, that's Absolutely. so resonant to, the, to, to me and to the, the theme of the, of the season. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I, I, I honestly believe that one of the reasons it took me so long to come out was because I could never see myself in the LGBT community in the way it was represented when I was growing up, right? Mm -hmm. So before my time, but in reruns, we had Paul Lind on right. Bewitched um, playing the gay uncle. What was his name? Do anybody remember? Uncle? Oh, anyway, on Bewitched, but you know who I'm talking. He played yeah. an uncle, the gay uncle that wasn't ever, nobody knew he yeah. was gay, but we yeah. all knew he was gay. Yeah. And then he played um, the gay center square in Hollywood Square. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and again, in popular culture, um, even though there were starting to be some gay representation, I never saw myself. And I thought, right. like, that's what it means to be gay. Well, that's not me. That's not who I am. Right. Um, and gosh, isn't it wonderful now to see the representation, the diverse representation that's out there now? We're not perfect and we're not there, but you see so much more of the spectrum of the LGBTQ community in literature right. and television and movies and plays. And right, right. I was just talking to Jennifer before you, you got on. Uh, Kevin, that I watched Netflix's 2020 remake of The Boys in the Band, uh, yeah. you know, just this weekend, right? Yeah. And, you know, such a rough play and a rough movie. You know, when I watched, I saw that movie, that movie, the original was made in 1970. I saw it on like HBO when I was homesick, you know, in like yeah. 1983 from high school. And I was like, what on earth is going on here? Right. Completely. Oh yeah. Right. I didn't see that until I was much later, much older and much later in my life. And I remember thinking, I would not want to be friends with any of these people. Hell no. <laughs> right. No and way. While those folks do exist in real life in the community to have them all in one room together. <laughs> I mean, shoot me. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you know, the, the point that I sort of made to Jennifer was, how great to see a remake with actors from, you know, kind of their mid twenties to their early fifties, all of whom are proudly out, uh, authentically themselves, right. and can play a wide range of of roles, and can enact dozens of different kinds of gay identities. Yeah, you know, all all on you know on screen and in that claustrophobic set you know right to your point about how you know this just too it's too much right um one of the conversations that my friends and i always have and this is for a very different podcast conversation but it is the question of you know we don't want white actors playing asian characters right, right. we you know and and we've hopefully scarlett johansson will be the last um but 
can gay actors play straight characters and can straight actors play gay characters? And right. is that the same thing or is that different? Because right. if all of a sudden you say that gay actors cannot play straight characters, you've now eliminated 90% of the roles, if not more for them. Right. Uh, so anyway, but that's like, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a fascinating question that relates to representation. Right. Um, and to, to, and, you know, kind of enacting, you know, one's identity. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think in that film of Zachary Quinto, right. You know, who's uh, you know been out for a long time and has played a wide variety of, of roles, lots mm-hmm. of genre roles, you know, right. he was a Spock in the films. Right. And uh, you know, if you, if you swing on the question to a too narrow perspective, then yeah. is that really what we were kind of going for? Right. Right. Would we ever have discovered Zachary Quinto if he could have only played queer characters? That's right. Yeah. 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 So. Um, and so, you know, that, yeah, go Jennifer. That same question could be applied to um, disabilities. Right. It, it, very similar. Yes. Like it, obviously we have a lot of actors who have um, earned Academy Award nominations and awards for playing disabled characters. And then you have a lot of people with disabilities trying to get into the acting field. Yeah. Right. Can't you yeah. see the parallels there? Oh, completely. Right. Completely. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I hope that we're moving towards a day that in television film in particular uh, characters with disabilities are become the norm, right? Like that is just part of what you see and it's not tokenized hopefully as queer characters were for so long and characters of color. um, So that there is just plentiful opportunities for all people who want to want to be in film and television. Yeah. Now, Kevin, when, when you're writing, right. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, kind of we were just talking about is this this kind of notion of, of kind of a, you know, a, a, a fluidity of character, right? That we want, we want characters to be who they are and we don't want the story to be about some, you know, because they're disabled or because they're gay or, you know, they just happen to be, right? All tragedy. It's always yes. tragedy. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, come on. I mean, and you know, Jennifer, we talked we talked about that. That you know, the what the first the first young adult story that you could find about a trans identifying character that wasn't a tragedy was from the 2010s, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So you know, when 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 you write, you know, kind of what aspects of sort of LGBTQ identity are you bringing to your not not necessarily yours, but sort of your conception of of that kind of identity space. You're kind of, what are you bringing from that into your work? How does it inform it? What are you trying to highlight or you know, that kind yeah. of thing? That's a great question. Um, and I think like most, like I think like the culture, many of my first scripts were about the coming out story. And I think that people sometimes just feel like they have to start there. <laughs> right. Um, and again, again, I think that that's changing and that's wonderful. Um, but you're so, obs- I was so obsessed with my own coming out experience that I was like, people need to know this story, you know? Right. Uh, and then you realize, okay, you've told that story, um, move on. There is much more in the Pantheon. And so I, one of my things that I just do in writing period, but absolutely applies to LGBTQ representation is to tell stories that have whole people. So this idea of who's the villain and who's Mm -hmm. the good guy, sure, there may be someone that is an antagonist in the story, but 
they should be like everybody else, a very complex person. That's a mix of good and bad and everything in between mm-hmm. and same for the protagonist. So I really, again, going back to authenticity, none of us are one dimensional. And right. so when I write and when I read other people's scripts and stories, I'm always advocating for show us the humanity of the antagonist and show us the flaws of the protagonist. And I just think that that's particularly true with LGBTQ stories is that they should never always be the hero. Like that they're just this uh, hopeless victim that is uh, kind of, you know, untarnished metal. They should have tarnishes. They should have issues. And that's one of the things I like about, I'm watching Sex Education on Netflix <gasps> this year. Love it. <laughs> uh, oh my God. And that's just probably my favorite thing about that show is the characters are such a, a beautiful mess. Oh, uh, yes. Wonderful All qualities and messy qualities. And, and it doesn't even really matter who is gay and who's straight. And it's like, that is just part of their identity. Um, but the interesting part is all the things that make up their personalities. And I think that's a really good example of what I try to do in my writing. Right. Now, li- listeners, just to build on, you know, on, on, on Kevin's point, if you're interested in seeing what this really looks like when it's done really well, okay, messy characters with lots of different qualities, all of which combine to make them real people who are really screwed up, Right but in ways that you will instantly recognize yeah. from either yourself. Oh, 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 look, the mirror, please, you know, get, get that mirror away from me. Right. Or, you know, people that, you know, you could do far worse than, than Netflix's sex education. Right. Yeah. I mean, Gillian Anderson is, uh, is so great. just so, uh, like why I watch the show. Yeah, totally. I mean, so totally. I could, I was like, Remember when they used to have spinoffs? I wish they would do a spinoff of her character. We just could just her. focus on her. Right. So oh my God. I just love her so much. Um, yeah. So, so I, 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 what I, what I love about that is that that point resonates through this entire season, right? You know, we want, we want these characters. We want, uh, we want young people consuming content, reading books, watching television, whatever, to see things that we didn't see, yeah. right? I mean, what, what, to your point, what did I see? Paul Lind, mm-hmm. Charles Nelson Reilly, yeah. right? Yeah, right? Or, you know, tragic people dying of AIDS. Yeah, exactly. Right, that's all it was. A clinger right? on MASH who really wasn't part of the LGBTQ community, but dressed in drag. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, you know, you, you talk about sex education. I'll come back to more movies and TV a, a bit later. So think about some books that may have influenced you as a, you know, as a writer. You know, we have teachers who listen to this and, you know, a number of English teachers might be looking for, you know, some books that maybe they ought to read themselves or they should, they should think about. What are some that have influenced you positively, maybe or negatively? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I was really trying to think about like, what was the first book I read with a queer character? And it, I, I, I couldn't really think of any of the required reading in high school or in college. Right. Uh, which is just so discouraging to think about that. And I, again, right. I hope that's changing. Um, and it, so it actually might've been The Color Purple. That might've been the mm. first book that mm. I read where there was a, and, and it was kind of amb- 
ambiguous. It, you know, it, it wasn't that their uh, identity as a queer was a centerpiece to the story. Mm-hmm. It was part of the story, but it also, it was beautifully done and probably Alice Walker did it in a way that would still make it palpable for folks at the time to read. Right. Um, but gosh, I think, why isn't that book required reading, right? Yeah. Now, you all are more, much more in the educational sector than I am. Is it? Do you know if Color Purple, Color Purple is a required reading anywhere? I am not aware of it being required, but rather it sort of is on recommended sort of summer reading and or extended reading lists and places yeah. that I've worked. Yeah. Jennifer? Good. Yeah, I know that um, there are more and more you know, African-American literature classes, like I took one in college, but now they're pushing their way down, I think, into high school. That's for sure a staple um, there. But, and and I'm willing to bet that there are high schools out there and 11th and 12th grade classes where they are reading The Color Purple. I wouldn't be surprised at all. You know, the required reading that they do for kind of AP classes is so narrow. Yeah, Um, Yeah. But then you have all these great, Uh, other just 12th grade literature and 11th grade literature classes across the country where teachers have a little more say in what they read. And, and I definitely have, you know, you go into uh, in the summer into a bookstore and it, and there's that bookshelf, particularly small bookstores in small towns. Hi schoolers. Here's your required reading. (laughs) Here's your suggested readings. I love to look at those. Totally. Yeah, Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, so recently, and I, I just read this recently, um, it's from James Baldwin. So I mm. think that probably a lot of folks are familiar with James Baldwin. There's probably a lot of things, but his book, Giovanni's Room. Oh, yes. I don't know if I've ever read a more oh God, intimate mm. portrayal of someone wrestle, really wrestling with their sexual orientation and their coming out process. And it's done, I kept thinking like, this could be, an eighth grader could read this because it's not graphic. Um, It is really accessible Mm -hmm. and it's just so beautifully done. Um, So yeah, that book to me is now on probably my top 10. And I think it would be a great addition for, yeah, I would say late middle school, high school. And I just felt like, you know, as a man much past the age of Giovanni and, and the characters in there, um, right. I still identified. And I could just feel, I, you know, I, I reconnected with that time in my life when I was so confused, but it was just beautifully and really well done. So that's a huge recommendation for me. Yeah. What a great, what a great recommendation. When, when Jennifer and I were talking uh, in the last episode, I wish that I brought that book up in that comp because that that is a masterpiece. Oh, right? God. It's been twenty years since I've read it, but what a yeah, masterpiece! I can't wait to read it again. Oh my god, yeah, it is right. absolutely amazing. Yeah. Brought, yeah, brought tears to my eyes. Yeah, um, and, and you know, James Baldwin is someone who every American should be should be reading. Yeah, right. Full stop. Right. Completely. Yeah. yeah. Um. Now, what about? the books that you did read in school, right? You know, and kind of what's the value of, uh, you know, of, of this kind of received wisdom, right? You know, I mean, what, what do you think? Should we, should we kind of do away kind of a little bit with that? Or should we, you know, are, are there, is there a cultural, uh, you know, set of uh, uh, 
perspectives that ought to be available to everyone because we've all read the same books kind of thing. I mean, what, what yeah. do you think? As a writer now, maybe. Yeah. Um, before I go on, I'm going to turn on that light because I'm like slowly <laughs> going in the dark here. It's all oh. good. Yeah. I'm already going to have to hard edit this episode because right. of my sister. Um, so, yeah. And I've got a good photo of us. So we're all sort of laughing. Okay, so, good, good, good. So yeah, you're good. Now. Right. Cause yeah. now you're, you know, we yeah. want, we want your, we want you in your best lighting. Kevin. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You've never told anybody at the beginning of the episode that you're taking a picture of them. I think it's not a good way to start out. <laughs> People <laughs> like any minute he could be taking my picture. What is my face doing? I'm sorry. <laughs> Next time I'll do it and not tell. Please. Yeah. All right, Kevin, go on. So, um, I, Absolutely, I think there is value to kind of the breadth of literature that I grew up with that uh, was a shared reading list, Jennifer, as you were talking about. Um, my children read the, some of the same books that I had to read. And so to talk about 1984 with them and uh, A Catcher in the Rye and A Brave New World, like there is something I think that connects us over the generations to those, those books uh, I just think we, and I think we're moving in this direction, but we've just got to diversify the stories that we're telling and that we're having children and youth read. And I think, you know, whether it's James Baldwin or Alice Walker or others that we haven't named, we've got to mix up uh, and not, not mix it up here, but like relook at that list, looking at who we are today. I mean, that, the list of required reading typically has been, you know, it was established so many years ago. And, right. and, this, and our world and our country is in a very different place. And I think, yes, there's value to having us all read some of the same books, but let's make that representative uh, of, of our country, at least in our world. Right, right. Uh, you know, Jennifer, we, we talked in the last episode about content that was being created for young adult kind of you know middle middle grade mm -hmm. readers and how important it is to get these kinds of materials with a full range of of characters you know into middle school right you know i mean you know we're we're, we're talking uh you know kevin you know is raising that what your your past your undergraduate experience before you can identify a gay character right Sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm 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 in my undergraduate experience when I I know I'm reading a novel with a gay character because uh -huh. I bought it because it was. <laughs> right. You know? Exactly. Uh, yeah. And uh, that's a that's a world we want to get away from. Yeah. And I think that for a while, you know, young adult is technically, I think of that as high school age, right? Mm, nine, mm, mm. nine and above is typically young adult. And then middle grade would be kind of six to eight, you know, Got it. is really where it falls. But most of the literature, even now that's written or young adult fiction that is, that is just really casually and beautifully having all these diverse characters. And it's not, you know, the story is no longer about um, a, a gay character or a lesbian character and their struggle, they're just a character in this cast and it's seamless. And it's, it's starting to happen now with non-binary characters, trans characters, you know, they're just within the story, which is beautiful. However, 
I'm not seeing that down in the middle grades. And John, mm. kind of your point a little bit, I think you were, you were starting to make or, or what I was thinking about is middle school is where they're grappling with their identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In such a strong way. Um, I just, it's all they're doing. Like forget learning. That is all they're doing is really grappling right. with belonging and sense of self. And so I'm not, sh- you know, I'm not sure if we, we do do a benefit by saving all of that until high school because we think, oh, we want them to be mature enough for us that somehow these are mature themes. Um, what do you think about that, Kevin? I think that is an excellent point because um, like, like Giovanni's Room, that is probably if it was, you know, it, it is not an R-rated book. Um, and right. it, it's, they're having sex, but it's not about the sex. It is about the, his identity and him struggling to figure out who he is and how he wants to identify. And would become, like I said, completely appropriate for young people uh, who are going through that process on their own. I mean, think of how many people identified with Holden in Catcher in the Rye, right? right. I mean, so because he's this young person with a lot of angst and trying to figure out his life, and we were all doing that while we were reading the book. Right. And it would be so wonderful to have young people who are, you know, think, gosh, I may be in that LGBTQ community to have some a, a character or characters that are going through what they're experiencing firsthand. I don't, I, another one of my favorite books, but I, again, I don't, I'm not a teacher, so I don't know if it's appropriate for ages, but um, was the book Less? Um, oh, what a great like, book. Right, Andrew Sean Greer, and it was a Pulitzer Prize. So, I mean, I, it's was really recognized by, you know, kind of the literary world for its excellence, but so not only is it really not about his identity as a queer person, it, it, it was about just a man's journey in his life and the way it was told and how it was written. Well, oh my gosh, it was just, for me, it was earth shattering. It was such a different yeah. read than so many books I've read. And to your point, Jennifer, like it's just someone who's queer. It's not about their queerness. Right. Um, and I love that. I'm also going to jump back to TV for a minute because that's really what I am as a child of television and movies. I, sorry, <laughs> teacher. We were going to, well, I was going to go there at the end, but let's go there now and I'll come back to my other question. Okay, so go to so, film and television. So uh, what, the thing I was going to say is that one of the things that I noticed about Schitt's Creek yep. was that there were queer characters on that show and no one ever pointed out that they were queer. And later I heard an interview with the writer and creator, Dan Levy. And he, somebody said, you know, what do you always try to do in your writing similar to what you asked me? And he said, oh, well, that's easy. I will never have any homophobia in any of Mm. my work. Mm -hmm. And it was just a decision. He said, because I believe that, I'm paraphrasing, but I believe that if that's the world I want, we have to start creating it now and showing what that world is like. And I thought, oh my gosh, you're right. There was no, even when people found out that he was gay in the show, that was it. They were like, oh, okay, move on. Right. And it right. was, it was, yeah, really beautiful. And again, um, right now CNN is doing the history of the sitcom. Um, it's a series where they're talking about all the, you know, this, uh, the history of family sitcoms and then the history of ones about sex and about friendships. And they spend, I would say, a good 10, 15 minutes just on Ellen and how groundbreaking that Mm. was. Um, And then they have so many people that they interview saying what it meant for them 
to have her come out. Right. So it all goes back to, we need to see ourselves. Right. You know, we have to be able to see ourselves at all of the different iterations of our identity, not just when we come out. Right, right. So when you think about other television and, and uh, you know, and other films, right, what other, what other things might teachers use or have students watch or that young people maybe should, should have a look at that might help them develop an understanding of what an authentic LGBTQ voice sounds like and looks like. Mm. Or even, you know, I think references and, you know, it's, it's a way that a teacher can show their with itness, if you will. Yeah. And, uh, it, right. And it matters. If, if you're, um, only referencing books, you're not capturing most yeah. of your kids. Whereas if you are referencing something that is on Netflix, I think yeah. you've got a much better chance of connecting kids with your ideas and the ideas that you're trying to put forth in your class, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are, he, he's not a perfect creator, but the stuff that Ryan Murphy has done mm. to move the conversation forward um, there's probably, it's unparalleled probably in our time, right? Right. So, you know, whether it started with Glee and then it moved to American Horror Story. Right. Um, and, and there's, you know, new things that he's developing, but you've got to look at the stuff that he's doing just because he is putting it out there in your face. Yeah. And, um, and most, at least the first season or two of every single one of his shows, all the queer kids are watching. <laughs> no question. Right. So yeah. again, not a perfect creator. Some things fall apart, but you should know what shows he's putting out. Yeah. Um, you should also know like Pose, right? Because mm. Pose is doing something that, you know, they're looking at a group of people that really haven't been represented before in television and film. Mm -hmm. And and I watched a little bit of Pose and it's so it was so close to the work that I do at the Los Angeles LGBT Center. And I was like, oh, this feels like work. But <laughs> what I could say was that the characters, they they nailed them and they're they're very they're very real. Uh, yeah. and they're real experiences, even of the young, even though it took place in a different time and place, um, it connect very well with the youth that I work with today. You know, it's interesting. I so there's a conference called Models of Pride. I'll I'll plug that right now. It's a yeah, please. It's an annual conference that the team I work with produces, and it is uh, the largest free LGBTQ youth conference in the world. And uh, it's for youth ages 24 and under, and for parents and the professionals who support them. And we do it once a year here in Los Angeles, and it's over 2,000 people come. And I do a workshop on writing uh, queer stories. And awesome. I, t I show uh, parts of a film that I made and we look at scripts, but I always start by, s I have like a top 50 list of queer authors that they should know. Mm -hmm. And it includes a bunch of folks that we probably would know and we would list. Then I ask them, who are your favorites? They rarely list anyone on that list. <laughs> and nine times out of 10, I have no idea what they're talking about. Awesome. <laughs> so it is so encouraging to me that they're finding their people and their voices in literature and in entertainment. And often it is in graphic novels and in comic books. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Lumberjanes. So I think teachers should also be looking in those areas yeah. of graphic novels and in comic books because 
again, some, they're doing some really cutting edge things that I can't really speak about because I'm not an expert in them, but the youth are looking at those for role models. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Um, you know, Kevin, we're oh, coming no, to, oh, I'm uh, sorry, I, Jennifer, go. Sorry, I was just making me think our last episode, I mean, we should have mentioned Fun Home and um, mm. Allison. Dykes to watch out for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, the Bechtel test, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Allison Bechtel, like she was pretty seminal. Um, and then the fact that they produced that as a play—I don't know if you guys saw that. Oh, one of my favorites. I right? Mean, so be the songs. Oh yeah. Often, if I hear it, some keys dangling and jangling, I will say, "Keys, those keys." <laughs> <laughs> I won't sing, but yeah. <laughs> um. So Kevin, we're, we're, we're coming to the end, right? And uh, I'm grateful for the perspectives that you've shared and your, uh, you know, your angle on this question because, uh, you know, teachers, you, you know, may not necessarily have, have given this particular angle or framing as much thought as, they might have given to something else, right? You know, um, you know, black representation, you know, or, you know, a race or what have you, right? So this is, this will be great because it'll give them a number of things, practical things, right? Go yeah. and watch this, go and read, you know, if you haven't read Giovanni's Room and you want to know what a yeah. really aces, yeah, you know, deeply meaningful story of struggle, right? That isn't something that you would, you'd worry about reading with a eighth grader. Right. Completely. You know, that, go and read it. Right. Yep. You know, read that next kind of thing. Right. And um, anytime I think that you can find an intersection, obviously you should do that. So, sure. you know, I mean, um, one of the books I read recently was, um, it, it was by a man named, uh, I wrote it down, Saeed Jones, uh, and it's called how we fight for our lives. So mm -hmm. he is talking about being black, being gay, being from the South, and that experience and so and, and being poor and so it's the you know you get to see the intersection of all those things and you can't separate one from the other one you can't say well we're going to read this in february for black history month or we're going to read this during right. pride month like this is his whole person and how those his intersectionality kind of plays out um so yeah i would just encourage teachers also to look for that angle as well yeah yeah we we had a we had a teacher on earlier who talked a little bit about that the, the notions of intersectionality right. and how, uh, you know, to the degree that you can, uh, you can bring that into the conversation, you deepen the young person's experience, right? Yeah, um, Kevin, you make a show of your own, huh? So, yeah, I did, a, I did a short film last year that was like a TV pilot called Show Me Yours. Um, and yeah, it was great. I mean, it ran the whole festival circuit, uh, all virtual. So that was super fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it won a number of awards and I'm really proud of it. It's, um, you can find it at showmeyoursfilm.com. Oh, I can't um, wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely you should check it out and um, working on other things now, but I'm really, I'm really proud of that. And that's kind of just a piece. And it's a little bit of a piece of my story. I mean, I took my, I, some of the idea of my story, I know, I know I just talked about the whole, um, it's beyond coming out, but that is a little bit of a coming out story, but it's a really interesting 
uh, one, again, talking about intersectionality, it has a lot of different intersections in that. So nice. Yeah, I'm looking at the webpage now. Look at you. <laughs> Official selection, so many. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Official selection, Las Vegas International Film and Screenwriting Festival, Santa Fe. Yeah, we were in Outfest Fest, LA. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Good on you, mate. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, very and you make a podcast with your kids, huh? I do. I do. It's called Time to Call Dad. <laughs> and it is a conversation with me and my adult daughters. Um, oh, and also Grace and Rachel. And uh, yeah, for some reason, don't look on Apple Podcasts because it's always gets kicked from there. But we're on Spotify and we're on Google Podcasts and you can find it pretty much anywhere but Apple. Uh, time to call dad. Yeah, we're on a little hiatus right now, but um, it's really interesting. We talk about a lot of things current, uh, just looking at our different perspectives from our age gap. So we'll talk about dating and we'll talk about communication. We'll talk about religion. We'll talk about race from our different perspectives and what I wanted to teach them when they were young and what I actually taught them. Ooh, <laughs> that's hard. <laughs> right, right. Um, Kevin, it, it's, been, it's been extraordinary. Uh, so good to talk to you. I'm so glad that uh, Michael, right? Michael connected us together, yes. right? Yeah, Mike Freeman. Yeah, yeah. yeah Mike Freeman, right. Yes. Uh, amazing. Um, if people wanted to get in touch with you, how might they do that? This is where I could be really young and be like, well, just follow me, tag me. Follow uh, me on no, TikTok. But, I mean, yeah, so I mean... <laughs> Obviously, from my the film website, you can there's a contact me, but also on Instagram, I am Kev M C C L O S. So that's kind of how you can find me on Instagram. Okay, and I'm also on Facebook, and that's about the extent. Yeah, well, you know, Facebook is for us old timers, right? It is. I know. So right. Those yeah. listening that are old, like oh. us, they can find me on Facebook. Exactly. Uh, brilliant, um, Kevin. A million thanks for for doing this, giving us your time. You know, you've got so many things that you're doing and you're extraordinarily busy and we're grateful. And I'm sure the audience will be as well. And, well my pleasure. Uh, it is really fun to talk to other people who care about stories and representation. And you all made this very easy to have this conversation. So thank rock you. Rock on. Jennifer. Thanks, Kevin. Bye. All right, Jennifer, until next time. Yeah. We'll, okay. we'll uh, see you at Models of Pride, Kevin. I'll have to come and we'll stop we'll totally be there Good. Yeah. yeah 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 should be in november so i'll let you know soon right and it'll be live it'll be live rock right. on we will totally be there that'd be great brilliant okay until next time bye, bye. bye.